So what are you going to change in 2016? Better fitness, better financial health, stronger relationships, more active prayer life, church attendance. I want to explore uh, the turn of the calendar and New Year's resolution and life changes and improvement today under the general theme of worship. That's where the wise men take us. They worshiped Jesus. So I want to ask you a couple challenging questions then about what you want for your life change in 2016. And maybe you have a list and it's all written up and and alphabetized and numbered and maybe it's just kind of in your head and you have some vague ideas. Either is okay, but, but we're all looking for life improvement in some way. So if for your life improvement you have anything from from better fitness and health to financial uh, stability to uh, spiritual disciplines, right, improving spiritually. Let me ask this, this challenging question. What prevented you from making that change in the last two months? I know you were busy. And let me tell you here on record that busy is a lousy excuse. You probably already know that. But saying we're busy really means this. You know, I, I said that that was important, but that really didn't end up being important for me. Other things became important, and I gave my time to them instead. And so, nah, I kind of said that, I, I thought maybe that was important, but it really wasn't. And basically, we lie to ourselves when we say we're busy and we're not accomplishing what we want to accomplish. So, let me tell you the hard truth. And this is a little hard to swallow because we, that's, we, we normally avoid it because it's hard to swallow. But the reason that people don't change, there's one main reason people don't change the way that we know we should, the way we want to, and that's pride. Pride makes excuses. Pride minimizes saying, you know, that's, that's not that big a deal. I can handle it. I don't, I don't need to change because I'm fine. Pride fakes its way through flaws. Pride blames others and complains about them. And at the end of the day, that's why we don't change pride. We we say we're ourselves. I I can decide what I want for myself. I'm my own person. And that's another lie. Because God made us and he owns us. So let me give you another hard truth by asking this, this question. Why is, is where you want to change, whatever you want to change, why is that so important? See, I'm peeling back the onion here and getting into the nitty-gritty of this that sometimes we don't think about on the surface. Why is life change important to you? Why is it important for you to say, uh, you know, I... I want better financial health in 2016. Well, it's important so that you can sleep better at night and you feel better, you feel more balanced about your saving and your spending. Okay? Why is it important to, uh, for better fitness? Well, it's so I can look at myself in the mirror in the morning and feel, better about, feel good about myself. And not only that, but others will notice they'll feel good about me too. Okay? So basically, those two are saying, I want to make life change so that I feel good and so that I look good. I want to make life change because it's all about me. 
And there's another lie and another trap that we fall into because it's not, that's, that's narcissistic really. And we all fall into that trap of it's all about me. And that's the reason we don't accomplish many of our life changes because we get so, we navel gaze, we get so focused on ourselves and not, not the wider truth and the wider motivation. King Herod was, uh, was focused on himself. When he heard that there was a king of the Jews being born and that was his title, King Herod was called the king of the Jews and, and King Herod was already paranoid. He killed his own relatives when he thought that they were threatening his throne. And so now he hears that there's this king of the Jews. It's all about him and about his fears. And he says to the wise men, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Baloney. He wanted to kill him. Because he had so many fears and insecurities because his whole life was narcissistically all about King Herod. How do you change a guy like that? Well, for King Herod, how he wanted change was the circumstances around him to change. And if the circumstances around him changed, then he'd be happy. But when they didn't, then he tried to control those circumstances by killing all the babies, later killing all the babies, and Jesus and his family had to escape. So the way to change a guy like King Herod is to change him from the inside. He wasn't willing to do that, but that's how it has to be. I need, for life change to work, to look at myself on the inside and to start at the inside. I need to realize my pride. I need to realize how I'm, uh, how my avoidance. And I need to turn away from that. In the Bible, that's called repentance. Both in the Greek and the Hebrew original languages, that word repentance, it means you turn. It means I'm headed toward a direction of satisfying and gratifying my sinful desires, and I say no, and I turn the other way, and I turn toward God's truth. I turn away. And God's truth has so much to do with the life changes that you want to make in 2016 in your life. So much to do with it. Because God, here's the truth, because God is good, you don't need to find an ultimate good in anything else. Because God is great, He's in control and you can trust Him. Because God is gracious, you don't need to prove yourself to Him or receive others' approval. You already have God's. See how important that is, that truth is? That's what makes us turn around and life change. And then when we do that, and we engage in our life change, which, by the way, is a constant battle because our, the, the sinful desires remain part of our core until we go to heaven. And so those need to be destroyed every day. Like uh, X-Wing fighters going to the Death Star and, and firing at its core. We need to get to our core and destroy those sinful desires, but they pop back up. So every day is dying and rising, dying and rising. Every day is, Martin Luther says, drowning our sinful flesh. And it likes to pop its head back up again, and we need to push it back down by our baptism. That's a struggle. And we enter that struggle in our life changes. And when we do and we're doing it for God, and we're giving it to Him, that's worship. Everyday worship, not just Sunday worship. Everyday worship. 
The wise men were able to do that, were able to worship Jesus for three reasons. We're going to pick these apart very briefly in, in the Matthew 2 today, these three reasons. Number one, they were able to worship because of God's power. Number two, they were able to worship because God loved them. He showed his love to them. He shows his love to you and me too. And number three, the way that they worship is that they gave God their best. So, let's look, notice God's power in the story of the wise men. Why do the wise men leave the comfort of their homes, their families, their offices, their neighbors? They left them for this long journey we're guessing was about a one to two year journey. That's a long journey. Why did they leave? Because they were amazed by God's power. See, the God of, of the stars and the constellations and the planets in the sky made this configuration happen that they were looking for as scientists and astrologers. They were looking for this. And somehow God had attached that, that setup and that special star to a message that a Savior was being born who was king of the Jews. That overwhelmed the wise men, the magi, to want to go take a look. So God not made them, and he made the creation around them, and he used it to bring them to himself. That's an important truth. As we think about our worship and about life change and why we do it, that God made us, and not only made us, but he made us for himself. He's not satisfied just us existing like, like a tree or like a mountain or like a rock. He wants us to serve him, to worship him. He made us for himself. So there's two verses. I put the references up there on the screen. Isaiah 43, 21 and 60, 21. And they say this. Isaiah 43, 21 says, the pe This is God talking. The people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. And then he calls us the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. God shows his power to you because he wants you to respond to that and to praise him. And he's, in, he's creating this relationship. Right? So God, God showed his power to the wise men. He arranged and aligned the planets and the stars just the right way to attract their attention. And then he showed his power by stomping on King Herod and preventing King Herod from his murderous plans of taking out Jesus, the Son of God, who would have never lived and died for us and salvation would have been ruined. God showed his power and the wise men worshipped him for that. You are showing your amazement about God's power when your faith leads you to enter the messiness and the battle and the fight and the struggle of, of life change as a Christian, of, re, of daily repentance. You're saying, God, you have power and I'm going, I need your power in order to do this. You are showing your amazement in God's power when you engage in those spiritual disciplines, when you, when you trust in God to take care of you, not knowing how it's going to happen. You're, you're showing your amazement in God's power. When you, uh, when you put prayer requests on our connection card and ask God for healing and for help of special people in your life, your amazement in God's power. Now, that's not the only reason we worship him. If all that we had was a God who was a powerful God, who we looked at in creation and our own conscience, and that's all we had, we'd worship him in fear. 
because he's a powerful holy God who's angry at us for our sins. But he also shows his love to us. God showed his love to the wise men, too. He showed his power by aligning the stars and the planet and by leading them by that special bright star. But he showed his love for them by decades and centuries earlier, planning for the prophecies in the Holy Scriptures to be retained and preserved so that those prophecies would say there's going to be a Savior who's going to be born, and he's going to be born in Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. God showed his love for those wise men by speaking to them through those prophecies as the prophecies were opened up and when they stopped and said, where do we find this king of the Jews? God spoke to them through his word and he showed them his love which led them to Jesus. God loves you in the very same way. The very same way. He leads you through his word to know Jesus as your Savior so that you know both his power and also you know his love as well. Um, that's what God does for his love. And ultimately then, you have that love of God, which is this, this promise, um, Romans 8 verse 32, that's such a key verse for you to know God's love for you that gave you his son Jesus, but... Because he gave you a son, Jesus, you know he's going to give you anything else because Jesus is the greatest gift. Right? So, he who did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all, how will you not also along with him graciously give us a couple things? Graciously give us not a couple, all things, everything that we need, God gives to us. We know that because he gave, gave us Jesus. So, because you have God's love and because that means you have everything that you need from God because of his love for you, that makes a difference in your life change. You do not have to fight with your spouse because you don't have to be right. God has already made you right in Jesus, because he loves you. You're righteous. You're right. You don't have to worry so, hot, so much about being right. You can forgive your sister because of God's gracious love for you in Christ, and he's graciously given you all good things. You can forgive your sister because God has graciously already forgiven you, probably more than you need to forgive your sister anyway. But he's filled you up with forgiveness, and you have enough of it to give away, and you're not going to run out. See how life change is. You, you can prioritize Bible reading and prayer in your busy schedule, trusting that the God who loves you and graciously gives you all good things is going to take care of you if you spend that time alone in the Word and in prayer and you're not taking care of all that other really important stuff. That's how God's love for you plays into the life change scene. All right, so that's, uh, that's how it works with the wise men. Uh, God gave them his power and his love, and then they turn around, and to a God who is so generous to them, they give him their best. So the wise men bring to Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, take a step back and think about this for a second. What toddler boy, a year or two old, what, what, do, what do one or two-year-old boys need? 
Well, they need diapers. Maybe a rattle, little shaky toy thing. Uh, you know, the, the basic necessities of life. Maybe a few other little simple toys. But when was the last time you went to a birthday party for a one or two year old and brought a gold necklace for the boy? Or, or, or precious perfume or incense. That's what frankincense was, right? Maybe a bottle of cologne. Here you go, buddy. Or, uh, or a very precious oil. That's what myrrh was. A one, a, a one to two year old boy does not need those kind of things. So why was that so important for the wise men to bring those to Jesus? It was important because well, what do you give to a king who has everything? You give him what is precious to you. And when it's precious to you and you give it away, it's precious to him. We want to worship God by giving him our best. And that means my best effort in my life changes. That means my best offering in finances and in, in, uh, in my, my treasures, my, my talents, in, in, the, in the treasures and talents he gives to me, the best of them. Not, I don't want to give my king leftovers. Because he's so generous to me, I want to be so generous to him. All right, we're going to have three final takeaways then from, from this in our, our worship of God as life change that I want as takeaway points for you to take home out of this, out of this message. And the first one I'm going to introduce to the story. Um, this story just hit me. Um, I've told it before recently, but I want to tell it again because I think it makes a really good point. So I, I found this story about the chairman and CEO of Coca-Cola who gave a speech in 1997. So this is uh, almost 20 years ago. Um, in his speech, he was, it was like a state of Coca-Cola speech. He was speaking to all the, the stockholders and employees in the company. And here was his speech. He said, you know, um, we, we at Coca-Cola have uh, worked hard to maintain our mission and to stay on task with what we're really good at. And we did some research and we found some numbers. And I want to share with you some numbers that have to do with Coca-Cola this evening. Here they are. One billion hours ago, the earth was created. One billion minutes ago, Christianity emerged on this planet. One billion seconds ago, the Beatles first played on the Ed, Ed Sullivan show. And one billion Coca-Colas ago was yesterday morning. What can we do, he said, to make one billion Coca-Colas ago this morning? The point of that speech is this. Success is closer than you might think. And what he knows in a secular, business-minded kind of way, we, we can one-up that. We know in a spiritual way that we have God's promises for life change. Life change, positive life change, is closer to you than you might think. 90% of New Year's resolutions fail within the first month. You don't have to be one of those 90% if we look at life change in these kind of ways. So number one, um, think of all those, uh, you know, those billion Coca-Colas. They, they added up only, only over 24 hours, and what a big difference they made. Think of life change not as a monumental mountaintop experience, 
but as a billion little moments, a billion little decisions that you make, maybe just over the course of a day, probably longer than a day for a billion, that's a lot. But maybe a week is a billion little tiny decisions you make. And you have a God who, who knows, who counts your hair and knows a billion little things about you and a billion little experiences and memories. And he's going to use those to help you in your life change. Think about it in that way of the little decisions that you make. And little decisions make big decisions and make big successes. Number two, takeaway. To think about life change and little decisions. Number two, get on board with God's resolutions. What is God resolving to do in your life? I don't know. Does he want you to take the job promotion or not? Does he want you to have kids or or not? Does he want you to... Those are things you don't know. So get on board with what you do know about what God is resolving to do in your life. And what you do know, you can only find in the Bible. There you have God's clear purposes and plans for you, and they're laid out very clearly as what he wants for you in your spiritual growth and your spiritual disciplines and habits. They're there. Does he want you to be a better father? Or a, Yeah, that, that's in there. Does he want me to use my skills? Yeah, that's in there. To be a better communicator? Yeah. To be loving and kind and patient and godly? Yeah, that's his purpose for you. Get on board with what you know is God's resolved truth and life change for you, and you're much more likely for it to happen. Because you know God wants it then too. Finally, be a star. Be a star. You know, God used a star to lead the wise men to Jesus, and now they're being stars for us as we study them and look at them, and, and they're leading us to Jesus too. So, who can look at you, observe you, listen to you in 2016 and be led to Jesus? And not just passively either but actively. Actively sharing your faith, actively bringing your friends and neighbors to church and being a star for someone in 2016. Those are three great steps to life changes and three good ones. So here's the best news of all. How do you, how do you ensure success in life change in 2016? By believing this, God has already changed you. God has already changed you from being lost in sin and darkness to being saved in Jesus, your Savior, and making you his own child and a follower of Jesus. He's already changed you. Is he satisfied with you? Absolutely. But he also wants more of you than you're willing to settle with for yourself. He loves you so much, he accepts you the way that you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. So God, you're already changed and he loves you, but God has change in mind for you. God wants you to change too. Find out more about that by diving into the Bible in 2016. Finding God's power, finding God's love giving him your best in your worship, and you're off to a great start. Amen. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for this new year. 
As we think about the new year, we think about the new opportunities it creates for us. And, and we might think of opportunities in the past that we've wasted and we, we ask for and know that we have your forgiveness for them. We think about opportunities ahead and we want to live in every one for you, Lord. We ask for your help, for your divine power that is stronger than we are, for your divine love that fills our hearts and, and fills every one of our needs. And we want to trust that more every day. And we want to give you our worship so that you always receive the best of us because you are so generous and our awesome God. Help us to take those truths home in our hearts today and put them into action in our lives. Amen.